With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome to a History of Egypt podcast mini-episode. Birthday festivities, the final episode in our 12-month look at the Egyptian calendar. In a religious year filled with unique festivals and observances, I'm pleased to say that the Egyptians did not stint on the new year. In some ways, they saved the most curious practices for last. Today, we get to dive into a unique system of ending the year, which you might call the birthdays of the gods. Let's begin. Month number 12. We made it! The Egyptians celebrated the final month of their year around July in the Gregorian calendar. For Western societies, this marks the mid-year point. For the Egyptians, it marked the end. Sort of. In many ways, the Egyptians' last month was also the beginning. The Egyptians called the twelfth month Wepet-Renpet, a phrase that means the opening of the year. So it seems like they characterised this final month as a sort of transitional period, an end combined with a start. Now this goes deep into their cultural psychology. Everything that was happening in the wider world pointed to a new beginning, just as it pointed to an end. For example, the harvest season, Shemu, was now ending, and the crops had been gathered in. The agricultural cycle was done for another year. But with the food supplies at their maximum, it was also a time to look forward to the new cycle. A time to allocate provisions, to plan out supplies, and to make allowances for the year ahead. So the end of the harvest was the beginning of the times of plenty. Secondly, The land was now sweltering in the height of summer. The Nile was at its lowest ebb, and the world seemed parched. Temperatures regularly reached 40 degrees Celsius, or 104 Fahrenheit. Down in Nubia, you might even get 40 degrees in the shade. The hot years were brutal. The land was oppressed and subdued. But there was also hope on the horizon. The Nile flood, the inundation, was just around the corner. In the southern lands, priests were beginning to check their measuring tools, the nilometers, for the first hint of the waters rising. So while the land baked, all eyes were turned to the promise of relief, and the beginning of the new season. So Wepet Renpet, month number 12, was characterised as a time of ending and beginning in one. For the most part, Egyptians seem to have been looking forward rather than backward. This is reflected in the events of the month. Wepet Renpet had no major festivals, and just a few small events dedicated to regional gods. There was a Hathor festival in Thebes at the very start of the month, a festival to Ptah in Memphis on day 24, and that was about it. Kind of barren, right? Not to worry. 
there were some very unusual practices just around the corner. Let's jump straight to the month's end. Day 30. This was it, New Year's Eve, the 360th day of the Egyptian year. In most months, day 30 might be called the day of going forth. In this month, the day had a unique name. Day 30 of month 12 was the Heru Mesu Ra, aka the day of the birth of Ray. It was, quite surprisingly, a very unlucky time to be an Egyptian. Generally speaking, the month of Wepet Renpet was actually an unhappy one for the Egyptians, at least in a religious sense. Superstitious Egyptians considered this month as one of the more inauspicious in the year. It's not hard to see why, with the summer at its height, the land baking in the heat, the Nile at its lowest level, and life itself seeming beaten down and subdued, it might have seemed as though nature itself hung in the balance between life and death. Would the upcoming inundation fail? Would there be famine in the year to come? Fear rippled through Egyptian society. The faithful and the superstitious were in dread of what was to come. There are a couple of religious explanations for this time of unluckiness. According to some texts, Month number 12 was a period when Sakmet, the lioness of war and pestilence, was at the height of her powers. In the great heat, mosquitoes were everywhere, malaria was a risk, and heat stroke was probably common for anyone working outside. The lioness, it seemed, was running rampant. Egyptians everywhere were at her mercy. To combat this, there was a powerful spell that one could use in the end of the year. It is called... The book of the last day of the year, and it is all about warding off Sakmet's menace. Quote, O Sakmet, the Great One, the Mistress of Asheru, O Ruler Rei, Lord of Heaven, O Horus, Lord of Bedet, O Sobek, Lord of the Marshes, Hail to you gods there, murderers who stand in waiting upon Sakmet, who have come forth from the eye of Rei. The Weputi messengers, everywhere present, who bring slaughtering, who create uproar, who hurry through the land to shoot their arrows from their mouth. Be on your way, be distant from me. Go on. I shall not go along with you into death. You shall have no power over me. You shall not surrender to me any bad misfortune of this year. For I am Ray, one who appears in his eye. I am Atum, who sojourns in the two lands. I am the powerful one, lofty and high. I will not fall into your slaughtering, you who are in Pei, in Dep, in Letopolis, in Heliopolis, in Busiris and Abydos, in heaven and the earth. I will not fall on account of your slaughtering. End quote. A spell or prayer like this one gives us a sense of how the Egyptians perceived the end of their year, at least religiously. That list of place names in the end... Pei, Dep, Letopolis, etc., suggests that the chaos or disturbance was rampant countrywide. Maybe this was a seasonal depression or disease, or maybe everyone just lost their minds in the summer heat. Either way, there was a lot of spiritual uncertainty going around, and people beseeched the gods for relief. So the end of the year was a difficult time, unlucky, uncertain, chaotic. Where did this negativity come from? Well, to answer that, we have to move past the last day of the year and explore what can only be described as a 
void in time and space. It sounds spooky, right? It is. But it's also quite cool. After the break, we'll get into the meat of today's episode and explore the five strange days which expressed the end of the Egyptian calendar year. See you in a moment. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The 30th day of month number 12 had passed, day 360 of the religious year. But there was a problem. The solar year, the length of Earth's orbit around the sun, is 365 days and one quarter. The ancient Egyptians had a year of just 360 days exactly, which left a gap, a gap that created a problem. If this gap was not filled, that five-day hole would, over the course of just a few generations, throw the entire calendar out of sync with Earth's actual movement. Left unchecked, you could very easily have years that were so far out of sync with reality that winter was actually hot and summer was actually cool. What's more, this gap would mean that festivals and religious observances were out of place. In a land of order... How could such problems be accommodated? Way back in Egyptian history, there are debates about exactly how far back, the astronomers of the land had figured out the solution to their little calendar problem. They weren't going to add extra days to any month, or make one of the months 28 days long. No, that would be too messy. Instead, the priests set aside a period of time at the end of the year, where the gap in the system could be fixed. Today, we call this gap the Epigominal Days. The Egyptians called it the Heriu Renpet. The Heriu Renpet, or Days Which Are Above the Year, were a strange five-day gap between one year and the next. Scholars have debated whether the Heriu Renpet belonged to the year that was ending or to the year that was beginning. It seems as though they were neither, and there is a reason for that the Heriu Renpet were intensely unlucky. Like much of month number 12, the five days between the end of one year and the start of the next were viewed as being under the power of Sakmet, so the Egyptians treated these days with caution. There is a good chance that, for the pious at least, these five Heriu Renpet were days of fasting, moderation in drinking, and abstinence from sex. They also tried, if possible, not to give birth to children on this day. For one thing, it was bad luck to be born on an unlucky day, of course. But also, it was bad luck to be born on the same day as a god. The Heriu Renpet were not random days. 
Maybe they started as a simple fix for the calendar's length, but in time, the Heryu Renpet came to be associated with the birthdays of specific gods. These gods were none other than the family of Osiris. Day one of the Heryu Renpet was considered the birth of Osiris, the Mesu Usir. It was an incredibly solemn day, a day for remembrance of what the great king had given and lost as a ruler of Egypt. Osiris was the lord of growth, of agriculture. He had taught the first Egyptians how to farm. He had ruled well and ruled benevolently. And for his care, he had been betrayed, betrayed by his own family, betrayed by the chaotic personality of Seth. Being born on a day of one like Osiris was surely unlucky, a wish for the god to look upon the child as a contender, or perhaps for the child to suffer the same fate in life, to be betrayed by his own kin. So ideally, no births on this day. Day two of the Heryu Renpet was the birthday of Osiris's son, Horus, the lord of the realm the living king of Upper and Lower Egypt, the Golden Falcon. Bad idea to be born on his birthday, right? One doesn't challenge the pharaoh of Egypt for attention. So woe betide you if you were born on Heryu Renpet number two. Horus was coming for you. Day three was right out. This one was the birthday of Seth. Seth the trickster, the fool, the lord of disorder. Seth the slayer of his brother, the tempest of the desert, Seth, the protector of Ray, the guardian of his boat. Hmm. Okay, maybe Seth isn't all bad. I mean, even chaotic individuals may serve a purpose in the divine order. Still, best not to be born here. You don't want to give birth to an idiot, someone who thinks they're smarter than they are, or someone who seeks only their own advancement to the harm of their community. Don't be born on this day. Don't give birth on this day. Ideally, don't do anything on this day. And for God's sake, don't be like Seth. Day four was the birthday of Isis, the mother goddess par excellence from about 1200 BCE and later. She was the lady of cunning who tricked Ray into revealing his own secret name. She was the lady of womanhood who protected and guided females on their path through life. Isis was the very greatest of noble ladies. Her tears watered the Nile. Her power conceived Horus even after her husband's death. Isis was the great lady herself. Now there was a woman not to challenge. Her cunning and influence would be a formidable obstacle to overcome for anyone. So don't challenge Isis. Don't be born on the same day. Day five, the last of the Heryu Renpet and the one dedicated to the least famous member of the Osirian family. Day five was the birthday of Nephthys. Nephthys, or Nebethut, the lady of the mansion, was the sister of Osiris, Isis, and Seth. She was technically the consort or wife of Seth, just like Isis and Osiris were a couple themselves. But Nephthys never took her husband's side in the family disputes. She always helped Isis and Osiris much more than she helped Seth. In fact, some legends suggest that Nephthys had a brief fling with Osiris, 
or at least spent enough time with him to conceive a child. The child of Nephthys was none other than Anubis, the guardian of the underworld. So Nephthys was at the very centre of the great myths, and yet we know almost nothing about her. Apart from protecting the dead, she is mostly invisible in the artistic and written record. Still, a goddess like Nephthys, part of the divine royal family, and one with such influence in the land of the dead, was not to be challenged. So the last day of the Heryu Renpet was, again, unlucky on account of an underworld deity. You have to feel bad for the children born on one of these five days. They were literally between years, unlucky in the most fundamental sense. Which begs the question, was there any kind of stigma being born on this day? Was it something that could be dispelled with time, offerings, or worship? I actually have no idea, but hopefully down the line, we can explore this idea in more depth. For now, let's move towards the final conclusion of the year. The five Heryu Renpet days were, as I've said, intensely unlucky. But none of this answers the question, why were these days described in this manner? Why have five unlucky days of divine births, when you could simply have five days attached at the end of the year with no particular significance? Well, according to a later Roman writer, there was a mythological explanation for the five days. An explanation that, in context, explains everything. The Roman author Plutarch, writing in the 1st century CE, explored the myths and legends of ancient Egyptians to an unprecedented level. Fortunately, while doing this, he provided some explanations for the Heryu Renpet days, and where they came from. Now, being a Roman, Plutarch used the Latin names for different gods, so Re is Helios, Thoth is Hermes, etc. In this quote, I have changed the names back to the Egyptian originals. Cool? Cool. Quote, They say that Re, when he became aware of the sky goddess Nut's intercourse with the earth god Geb, he invoked a curse upon Nut. He decreed that she should not give birth to a child on any day of the year. But Thoth, being enamoured of the goddess Nut, consorted with her. Later, playing a game with the moon, Thoth won from the moon the seventieth part of its illumination, and then, from all his winnings, he composed five days. He added these together as an addition to the three hundred and sixty days. The Egyptians, even now, call these five days Heryu Renpet, and celebrate them as the birthdays of the gods. End quote. So, Plutarch describes it a little bit confusingly, but the gist of it is this. Geb and Nut, the earth and the sky, had coupled. Ray was furious at this for some reason. Maybe it was because they were brother and sister, I'm not sure. Anyway, Ray decreed that Nut could not bear her children on any single day of the year. After all, Ray is the lord of the days. What power does the sun have if not to control the daytime? Newt was in a bit of a bind, it was possible she would be pregnant for all eternity. Ah, but Thoth had the solution. If Newt could not bear her children on any day of the year, then Thoth would create days which were not part of the year. Thoth created the Heryu Renpet so that Newt could give birth outside of Ray's dominion. 
A cunning solution, but one that had more than a hint of rebellion. As you can imagine, this was not exactly an appropriate action for Thoth to take. So this may be the reason why the day was considered unlucky. After all, these five days existed in opposition to Rey's power. So the Heryu Renpet came about as an act of divine rebellion. Forever after, faithful Egyptians viewed them as a time of bad luck. Month number 12 ended with five extra days, which took place outside of time and space. These days were unlucky, and so the Egyptian year ended in a time of uncertainty and concern. Kind of a downer ending, right? Well, maybe that's not so unusual. The end of year is an incredibly difficult time for many people. The Egyptians, perhaps, were no different. Without assuming that they experienced things in the same way as us, it's not impossible to suggest that as their year came to an end, more than one Egyptian felt low or unhappy about the conclusion and the beginning of a new one. Once again, though, they did have a solution. Quote, Ritual for the first day of the new year. Take black ink anointed with fine oil, fumigated with incense upon fire. Purify it, spread it, throw it into the water for the father Noon and the mother Nut just after the day of the birth of Ray, in other words, New Year's Eve. Make for yourself a great offering, consisting of bread, beer, oxen, fowl, carob beans, incense, wood, all kinds of dates. Be pure. Be pure before Ray, the Horus of the Two Horizons, who rises on the eastern edge of the sky, who sets in the western horizon. Lo, purify yourself in the fresh waters of the inundation, Paint your eyes with green eye paint, drink deep wine, anoint yourself before the gods, on this day and this night. End quote. So, as New Year's Day dawned, the Egyptians purified themselves. Washing away the year that was, they turned their eyes to the year to come. With green eye paint on fleek, and a glass of wine in hand, they strolled forward into the days ahead. Maybe it wasn't so different after all. Thanks for listening to the History of Egypt podcast's mini-episode series about the Egyptian religious year. I hope you've enjoyed it, and I hope it's been as entertaining as it has been informative. I'm not done with these kind of mini-episodes. Now that I've got a taste for them, I want to continue. For the year of 2019, our monthly mini-episode series will now begin to focus on some of the Egyptian gods. I've tried to look at different gods throughout the historical narrative, especially when they rise to prominence within society. But there are a lot of gods that I just haven't had the time to look at in proper detail. So I turned to you via Twitter, Facebook, and Messenger, and asked you what gods did you want to hear about in a mini-episode series. Fortunately, you all responded in magnificent detail, and I now have a list of 12 mini-episodes covering various major and minor deities. Some of these gods come together in pairs, some of them are looked at individually. Either way, it's going to be a great look at some of the famous and not-so-famous names in the Egyptian pantheon. So, 
it's time for me to say goodbye and get back to work on the historical narrative. As always, thank you for listening. May Ray ensure that your year ahead is healthy and prosperous, and that all good things come to you. See you! Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.